Benedict Arnold's Crypto Traders and Altruistic Assassins. This is the story of the Ethereum Killers, Part 1. Welcome to another episode of the Fool's Gold Podcast. I'm Ryan, the Crypto Fool, and on the other line, we've got Brian for our more traditional markets. How's it going today, Brian? Doing good. How about you? Uh, doing pretty well. Uh, it, crypto markets are doing well. I mean, we can buy uh, a Tesla with Bitcoin now. I was going to say, pretty crazy news with uh, Elon Musk, Tesla, buying, buying Bitcoin. He said it was inevitable, right? There was a tweet. <laughs> Yeah. That he that he put out like I think a few weeks ago and people were speculating, what does that mean? You know, it was inevitable. He, people, a lot of people think it's was buying Bitcoin on a Tesla's balance sheet. Yeah, and that's what happened. You know, did you hear about? There's this guy on Reddit that uh, I guess he was uh, high on LSD at the time. Anyways, he predicted, he pretended like he knew inside information that Tesla was buying Bitcoin. A billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, and he put it out on Reddit to try and spread rumors. No one commented on it, and now everyone's looking back, saying, "Well, this guy was a prophet. He he predicted it's gonna happen." And the guy's like, "No, guys, I was I was high, out of my mind. I had to, I don't know what oh, I was doing." Oh man. Anyway, so what's with the what's with Elon Musk and like crypto? Why like do crypto heads like freaking love Elon? Like with the with the Dogecoin thing oh, and like is. They just see him as like an, like an idol, like <laughs> yeah. He, you know, he's he's like Iron Man, right? He he's just someone the hip guys, hip people looked up to, you know, this uh, cool billionaire, pro- progressive, you know, yeah. thinking and exactly. I you know, I, I, it's interesting. I in crypto, we, it's a common joke of oh, people will go buy some Lamborghinis, some Lambos with their crypto because you make so okay. much money in crypto, you're gonna go buy some Lambos. And you know, this is almost like a play for. Uh, Tesla trying to become the the new Lambo for crypto. Uh, you know, oh, I'm go gonna make so much Tesla money on crypto. Go crypto. buy a Tesla. Exactly. Uh, I see. I see. So, I don't know. Smart. Smart. Sure. All, all about the it's market. A business idea. Yeah. How's how's the stock market been? It's going good. I mean, all, all new time or, or new all time highs. And I was gonna ask you, how do you how do you feel about the overall markets with crypto and stocks? I obviously we're hitting all time highs. I feel like every analyst I listen to on TV just says, you know, they're extremely bullish on the market. And I don't know, it makes me a little nervous, but I see like people's reasoning of why we should be bullish. But I don't know, I just feel like everybody's getting a little getting a little high up here. <laughs> just like that Redditor. Yeah, exactly. I, I you know, for me, it, I'm kind of conflicted because the crypto market, everything just feels like it should be bullish. Right. Uh, but but the crypto is also kind of tied to stock market in some ways. And the stock market does really bad. So does crypto. And and I feel like the stock market can't keep this pace up. And so, I don't know, it feels like I'm being torn, pulled apart in two separate directions of stock market's going to crash, but crypto's going <laughs> to keep going. So, uh, I don't know. I, that, I don't think that's going to happen. Your cake and eat it too. Uh, huh? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, one thing that maybe we can talk about in a you know future episode is the buy the dip mentality, right? Like we had that correction in the stock market. I think we were down like four to five percent, and instantly, you know, people bought the dip and we're right back, you know, above where we were at before, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's like the the question is, 
when a big pullback happens like that, is it going to be a bigger correction, you know, where it's going to take some time to recoup? Or is it a great buying opportunity where it's going to instantaneously bring you lots of profits, you know, if you buy that dip? And so obviously that's a huge part of crypto too, is buying the dip. So maybe we should have, we should have some uh, stories from that and some previous uh, history to kind of talk about with that. Is this a preview for next week's episode, Brian? But possibly, yeah. Mm, okay, I'm thinking right. about it. All right, wetting our appetite, getting excited there. Exactly. Well, Brian, I want to know, kind of, kind of changing topics here. How good are you at backstabbing people? <laughs> backstabbing? Yes. I mean, I wouldn't say I have a lot of experience. Cause, I mean, I'm. I'm Trying to be a nice guy, you know? Uh, you're the nice guy. A scale of 1 to 10, where would you rank yourself? <sighs> Man, honestly, I'm I'm not good at backstabbing. <laughs> I live a pretty boring life. I don't think anybody backstabs me, and I don't backstab anybody. Um, I would say, like, 2. Oh, wow. Okay, 2. So one of my favorite games is a game called Munchkins. Have you ever heard of Munchkins, Brian? I think I've heard of it. It's like a card game. It's kind of making fun of Dungeons and Dragons. It's like a simplified version of D&D, um, but it's cards. Anyway, on the box, it's, it basically says, uh, lie, cheat, backstab your buddies is basically what it is. And, and so the whole, you know, throughout the game, you can pretend like you're uh, making allies with your friends that you're playing with. And then at any point in the game, you can just backstab them and win the game kind of thing. Okay. And th- this is my favorite game. And so I I think part of it is cuz I just love backstabbing people, but I but I feel bad doing it in real life. I think there's okay. just something inside me, Brian, that makes me want to backstab people, but I know that I shouldn't. <laughs> Should I be admitting well, this on a on a podcast? I mean, you're a, <laughs> I've known you for a long time, basically my whole life. So, I know that what kind of person you are. So that's more fun and interesting to hear that than me being concerned, I guess. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I could backstab you at any point in our life. So <laughs> you're just holding it, you know, for the right <laughs> opportune moment, right? That's right. Well, the reason why I talk about backstabbing uh is because it relates to our stories today. So, uh it relates to the Ethereum killers is what they're branded. And these are certain kinds of cryptocurrency uh, that are competitors to Ethereum. And the whole origins behind them has a lot of backstabbery. So we're going to dive into that. You ready? Oh, yeah. All right. So Ethereum, a quick recap of Ethereum. We talked about it uh, a while back. Uh, But Ethereum is basically a platform that you can build applications on top of. So it's more than just sending money back and forth like what you do with Bitcoin. You can send data back and forth, Do use what's called smart contracts, and you create these applications built on top of Ethereum. And so this is where like decentralized finance, DeFi, all of that is mostly built on top of Ethereum right now. And so Ethereum is kind of like the, the king of the platform. Right, that's why it's number two in market cap behind Bitcoin overall. You and you've talked about, you know, different coins. Some of them, you know, have uh, what's it called? U- utility? Is that mm-hmm. what it's called? Yep, yep. And so ETH, Ethereum would be more of like a utility uh, coin or token or whatever you call it, right? Right, exactly. It has a lot of different uses. Yeah, and Versus then Bitcoin is. Uh, more of like a payment token, right? Exactly. Yep. 
Okay. Yeah. And one of these times we'll talk about the utility behind all cryptocurrencies because it's I find it fascinating. And so with uh, with Ethereum, the reason why Ethereum has so many competitors, the reason why this is such a, a prized spot to be the platform that all of cryptocurrency gets built on top of is, like I said, DeFi is built on top of Ethereum, for example. If you want to be a part of decentralized finance, you need to have Ether, Ethereum's token. You need to be using Ether. It puts a demand on the, the token because everyone's needing to get Ether to be a part of DeFi. Okay. And that's all because DeFi is built on top of Ethereum. If, if DeFi, if applications get built on top of other platforms, then there will be a demand for that other platform's uh, coin um, because you need their coin to participate in those applications. Does that make sense? Yeah. Quick question with that. Yeah. So this might be a really dumb question, but this is coming from a you know a non-crypto guy or learning crypto guy. Um, so like other applications, right, that we get on our phone, like what are they built on? Are they built on some kind of platform like Ethereum, just not decentralized? Like how does that work? Yeah. So if you were to use an analogy, you could you could think of uh, Ethereum kind of like Android, for example. So okay. you're building your application on top of Android. Uh, which is your operating system, is kind of comparable. Um, it's different because Ethereum is a, an entire network, right? And it's decentralized. Right. Uh, but, it, it, but if that helps to kind of visualize what Ethereum's role is. And so then just like Android has competitors um, like uh, iOS for Apple phones, for example. Mm -hmm. There's different competitors. And so there's, there's an advantage to have applications being built on your platform, Okay. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And so this is like the pot of gold of cryptocurrency is to have other projects, new projects built on top of your platform to create more demand, to create more users, more developers, everyone flocking to your platform to build on you. So there's a few, a few networks projects that are trying to be the, you know, the Apple store of, of apps. Right, exactly. They're trying to be the best. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, and so, just just a recap of where we are at right now. So, Ethereum is the king, just because it's been around the longest. It was the first one to become this kind of platform. So everyone started building on it before there were any competitors. And uh, I don't know if we've talked about this much, but there are other cryptocurrencies that are built on top of Ethereum. In fact, if you look at uh, the top 20 cryptocurrencies right now in terms of market cap, uh, eight of them are actually built on top of Ethereum. They are Ethereum tokens. Wow. Uh, and, and then the other 12 have their own blockchains, their own networks, but eight of them are actually built on top of Ethereum's network. And so that, that gives Ethereum some underlying value, some underlying credibility because these other applications, these other projects are building on top of Ethereum. So as they go up, Ethereum is going to go up. Exactly. The more applications come, the more demand for Ether, the token, uh, you know, the more participation, the more developers, everything just goes up together, right? They're like at the top of the pyramid scheme. They are. <laughs> but as we've talked about before, there's a lot of issues with Ethereum in its current form. Uh, it's very congested. It's very slow in cryptocurrency terms. And so there is a lot of room for a competitor to come and take some market share. 
So they don't they don't have like a you know a dominant uh, position right now, or do they? Or like I guess do they have a big a lot of the term that a lot of people use in investing is do they have a big moat? You know, like a, a moat. I've never heard that. <laughs> yeah, just kind of like a big moat. You know, like around a castle, or it's really hard to get in. You know, um, I don't know another term for that. Uh, I guess just like a sure, barrier that works. to entry. Yeah, I, I get the picture. Yeah, so I, I would say they have a lot of people digging their moat right now. Ethereum's moat. It, okay. It, they have a big advantage, but there's so many limitations on the network right now um, that there's a limit to how many people can use it right now. There's a limit to how useful it can be. And so then these competitors are coming in, they're new, they've learned from some of the mistakes of Ethereum, and they're trying to become this shiny new prize that everyone wants to have, right? And all this time, ETH, Ethereum is undergoing its own upgrade. We've talked about it, how it's updating, it's upgrading to Ethereum 2.0. And it will release, Ethereum 2.0 releases in a year, about. And once that update occurs... It, the the network will be so much faster, it'll be able to handle so much more, and it will become very usable at that point. Okay. So right now, Ethereum is an MVP in both senses of that acronym. It's the most valuable platform, but also it's the, it's a minimum viable product. Have you heard that that terminology, minimum viable I, product? No, I haven't. Okay. So like when you're making some business, you come up with your minimum viable product, basically a very simplified version of your grand vision for this product, right? Some I kind see. of workable, yeah, yeah. smaller, simpler product. And so that's what Ethereum 1, the Ethereum that we have now is a very minimum viable product. Ethereum 2.0 is the final product. So it's it's functioning right now, but it obviously is has a lot of room to grow. Exactly. Yeah. And even when Ethereum was first launched, they had it in their minds to build Ethereum 2.0. They just knew it would take longer. And they wanted the first mover advantage, so they started they, they just released it and let people build on top and see where it went like as a beta yeah. test. How long has it been that they've been working on? So, 2.0? they launched I think in 2015. Okay. And so they've so been working like, on 2.0 yeah, for about years. five, six years. Yeah. That's, you know, and if it's going to come out in a year, so like six, seven years, that's, that's pretty quick for something is so, I'm sure is so intricate and, you know, complex as something has 2.0. I mean, that's, that's not bad. I mean, that's optimistic for you to say that, but cryptocurrency <laughs> itself is only 10 years old, 11 years old. So that's, that, that's, that's, a, that's a big chunk of time. But to change you know, the space forever, seemingly, you know, if it's as good as, as it claims to be, you know, then that's, hey, it's worth the wait. Right, exactly. Well, so the way I see it, these competitors have about a year to prove their worth, to take away some of Ethereum's uh, users right now before Ethereum 2.0 launches. And so this is kind of the race that these competitors are undergoing right now to try and, and dethrone it before Ethereum 2.0 happens. You got me captivated now. All right, so let's let's get into our stories here. So that was a lot of a buildup here. Uh, so we got three main characters that we're going to talk about in our stories. First off is Vitalik Buterin. We've talked about him before. He's the founder of Ethereum, the creator, the mastermind, the visionary behind it. He was the 19-year-old prodigy who outlined what Ethereum was going to be. So he's kind of like the Steve Jobs 
of the Ethereum Foundation. Okay. Okay. Vitalik. The second guy is Charles Hoskinson. So Charles, he is a talented mathematician to envision what Charles is like. So I, I saw a picture of him as I was scrolling through some pictures of Charles. Uh, he, w- he had gone to some like junior high to give some kind of speech. And then he stayed afterwards to answer some of the questions from some of the little kids. And so uh, the picture is of him on his knees, crouched over, writing on this gigantic whiteboard. And his whiteboard uh, is full of writing. And you can see that he was trying to explain what blockchain technology is, which is the technology <laughs> cryptocurrency runs on, right? And you see all these like 10-year-olds gathered around with their backpacks. Some of them are looking at each other like with these like confused looks like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> Others of them are like pretending like they know what he's writing on the, the whiteboard. Anyways, so this guy just loves talking about math and, uh, you know, the intricacies of blockchain and all these things. He's like the, you know, kind of like the nerd is what he seems like to me. Okay. Okay. So that's Charles. Um, and then you have Gavin Wood. So Gavin is a very talented programmer. And so to, if you were to envision him, uh, I was watching this high profile interview that he was doing and he was just chilling there, sipping a glass of whiskey during this interview. And then, uh, later on, I was watching something else. He was doing this this uh, this presentation, and he does a live coding demonstration. So you know he's a programmer, so he's very good at computer coding. Uh, and he builds an entire blockchain. So remember, Bitcoin is a blockchain. Ethereum is a blockchain. He built an entire blockchain and an application to run on that blockchain from scratch in about fifteen to twenty minutes. And it was all live. So you could see him coding it. And he was explaining what he was doing as he was going. For for dramatic effect, he even had like this MacBook Air. It was brand new, still in the box, still in the shrink wrap. He had someone from the audience come and take out the computer, set up the computer for him just to show that this is a brand new computer. This is from scratch. And I can build a blockchain and an application in 15 to 20 minutes. It it was very impressive. And if you understand coding, I mean, that is like incredible. Um, Anyway, very, very talented guy, a very talented programmer. So, so these three guys, these three guys are recognized as part of the eight co-founders of Ethereum. So Vitalik, Charles, Gavin, and then five other guys. Uh, And, and Gavin Wood actually, he was not originally part of the co-founders. He heard of Ethereum he basically translated it into a different computing, uh, computer programming language called C++. Uh, and he was the first person to get Ethereum up and running on some testnet. Okay, so after he does that, he, he goes to uh, the Ethereum co-founders at the time and demands to be recognized as a co-founder. So he makes this big contribution to Ethereum. He's like, okay, look at me. This is what I just did. I am impressive. I need to be one of your co-founders of Ethereum. And so they brought him on board. Okay. So, so okay. He, you know, he's a very confident programmer, I would say. Um, and then he went on to write some of the really technical stuff of Ethereum. He contributed a lot to Ethereum itself. So, so these, these guys became part of the, the, the co-founders, right? So Vitalik, Charles, Gavin, five other guys. They are figuring out... This is back in 2014. They're working on Ethereum together. And uh, 
they have this big meeting in Switzerland, Zug, Switzerland, uh, June 7th, 2014. So they, uh, all the co-founders get together. They rent out a building, uh, a house that they call the spaceship. It's this weird looking rectangular house. And they, the whole purpose of the meeting is to try and decide the future of Ethereum. The goal, initial goal, was to incorporate Ethereum, make it a company. But uh, anyway, so you got all these these eight co-founders in there. They're all very talented. They're all have big personalities. Some of them, some of those eight co- eight co-founders are businessmen. Others, like Gavin, are and Vitalik, are developers and programmers. So these businessmen were seeing the dev developers like they were naive. And the developers were looking at these businessmen like as if they were greedy and selfish. And they started arguing about whether Ethereum should be a for-profit organization or a non-profit. And okay. it got pretty heated. And eventually they just decided to let Vitalik decide since it was his baby. It's his, it's his creation. And Vitalik chose to keep Ethereum non-profit. This made... This is... So this is the uh, the Avengers gathering together, mm-hmm. exactly, and they're having a civil war, <laughs> and Iron Man because he was the original, he gets to decide to sign the Sokovian papers or something like that. I haven't watched Avengers in a long time, but that sounds correct, Brian. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm just have to put it in my own, you know, well, way of thinking. <laughs> you know? I'll trust your movie knowledge. Yes, this, this okay. sounds good. It sounds exactly like what's happening here. So what happens is, uh. Charles is one of the ones that were very upset. He wanted it to be a for-profit, and he was upset that Vitalik was deciding to keep it non-profit. The, the drama and division grew, and uh, there's a falling out, and actually Vitalik had to kick out Charles and another co-founder out of Ethereum. Oh, man. Uh, because they were just so adamant about being for-profit. And so Charles looks back and thinks, pfft, I don't need you. I can build a better better platform by myself. Okay. So that's where Charles is going. And Charles is the crazy good uh, programmer dude? Charles is the mathematician. Oh, he's the mathematician. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so then, but Gavin is the programmer. And oh, after right. this event, Gavin was actually on record saying, uh, he is quoted as saying, there was this sense that Vitalik was the goose that laid the golden egg. And he was treated in that objectivizing form by everyone else, like he was some alien from Mars sent to help us all. And so even Gavin, who stayed with Ethereum, was getting a little uh, upset with Vitalik because he was this icon, uh, this Steve Jobs of Ethereum. And so even though it, it seemed like he was okay with it being nonprofit, um, he didn't like the power that Vitalik was having. And how everyone was like worshiping Vitalik. Anyways, uh, since this event where all eight co-founders met, uh, seven of the eight have left Ethereum for one reason or another. Some were kicked out. Some have gone off to do other things. Uh, Vitalik is the only one left of those co-founders still working on Ethereum. A couple of them are still working on related applications, but they're not working in the role of a founder. Anyway, so Charles has gone off to create his own platform. Uh, Gavin is still with Ethereum, but you can tell he's getting a little antsy with Vitalik's power. Okay, so that's where we're at right now. Okay. All right. 
So Charles goes off and he founds his own company called IOHK, Input Output Hong Kong. And he starts up his own cryptocurrency, his own network called Cardano. Ah, I've heard of that one. Yes, so Cardano is currently number four, last I checked, in terms of market cap. And uh, so he goes off and he's basically making his Ethereum competitor to, to prove Vitalik and everyone else wrong that his way was the right way. It should have been a for-profit network. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, he's, so he goes off and after a while... Uh, he comes out on the media saying, uh, "Charles, this is Charles. He says, now I run my own company with 160 people. I'm basically a billionaire. At this point, I couldn't care less about those six months of my life with Ethereum. Ooh, ouch. Sounding a little bitter. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so basically what it sounds like, though, is he overestimated his skill, his vision, and his development team because Cardano has been one of the slowest developing cryptocurrencies out there. He started basically 2015, and they've been developing it, and still to this day, Cardano cannot run smart contracts, which is the very basic minimum that you need to compete with Ethereum. You need to be able to run these smart contracts to be able to build applications on top of. Wait, so he, Cardano, is the fourth biggest market cap crypto and it can't even do that it still can't even do that what why do people why is why do people like it then well a lot of some of it is hype and some of it is because uh. of a trust in charles and his abilities uh but uh it kind of kind of beats me <laughs> why 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 people have really though it, it's up there in large part because uh recently they've had some exciting news so they just announced that they had a successful test of smart contracts. And it, they're looking at the end of this month, end of February, to be able to finally run smart contracts. So they're light years away from Ethereum. They're pretty far away, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and so their focus has been different. Charles's focus is more academic. They, they, at Cardano, they've released a lot of uh, scientific articles about the technology, they're doing a lot of research. So they're doing it more of a like thoughtful uh, methodology behind it, which is obviously taking a lot longer. Um, their code is peer-reviewed, like you would like in a, a science experiment. Anyway, so a lot of these things, it's just the development is just going so slow over there. <laughs> you just wonder if if Charles really knew what he was doing when he went off to start his own company. A after these long delays, right? They they should have already launched. They haven't launched yet. It looks like they're finally about to launch this this month, and so its price has been popping up pretty well recently because of this the excitement that finally Cardano is going to be ready to uh, to run. Uh, and there's been some whispers in the news that they have large government contracts in Africa, so that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, that uh, Cardano may be shaking things up soon. Interesting. But like I said, Ethereum 2.0 is coming out in a year. They only have about a year to prove that they can successfully run smart contracts. <laughs> a lot of people have still branded it as one of the Ethereum killers because there's a chance it overtakes Ethereum. And we know that Charles, the founder, is out to get uh, Ethereum and Vitalik. All right, so that's, that's the story of 
Cardano and Charles and how that all happened. So Brian, on a scale of one to 10, how good of a backstabber would you say Charles is? He's pretty good. I mean, that was, uh, that's quite the, the move he pulled here. Uh, I would say like a good solid seven. Seven. Yeah. That sounds good to me. That sounds about right. I mean, here he is saying he's, he's all for this project and then he's so quick to turn against it when they don't agree with him and he stubbornly goes out and forms his own competitor. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. Luckily his, his, uh, his follow through wasn't as, uh, good as his talk. But uh, <laughs> right. So anyway, so let's go down now. So then we'll shift back. Let's shift back to Gavin Wood. Okay, so he's still back at Ethereum. He's still helping out with Ethereum, but he still has that rivalry with Vitalik, feeling like Vitalik is getting special treatment, iconic status, uh, and people aren't recognizing Gavin for his work. So Gavin starts his own company while he's still at Ethereum, uh, and he starts getting getting these ideas of how to improve Ethereum, but he doesn't want to implement it on Ethereum. He decides to save it for his own competitor that he's going to build. Uh. Anyway, so on at the beginning of 2016, in January, uh, after he's been running his company for a while and kind of getting ready to build up his own competitor, he posts on Ethereum's official blog, basically just quitting and saying, hey, I'm out of here, peace. I'm off to finally fulfill the dream of ethereum but i'm going to do it uh but but that dream can only happen with my company and that's why i'm leaving because ethereum will not be able to accomplish the vision that we had originally set out for ethereum and he mentions all these people that he was happy to work with at ethereum does not mention vitalik uh son of a gun yeah son of a gun as gavin is walking out the door he starts trying to poach uh, a lot of ethereum's core developers and he even got some developers to work for him while they were still at Ethereum, including some higher up, some moderators in Ethereum's network were actually working as moderators while working for Gavin and his other company. Wow. And so basically they were working for their competitor while still working with Ethereum. <laughs> so Gavin starts up this competitor and this is called Polkadot. Oh, I didn't and know he's Polkadot guy. So Polkadot is number five on the total market cap list. Uh, and That one's been skyrocketing lately. Polkadot has been doing very well lately, yes. And that's because they just they just launched last year. So Gavin is Robin, and he doesn't want to be Robin anymore. He wants to be Batman. He wants to be Batman, exactly. He's, he's Kyrie Irving, doesn't want to be under LeBron's shadow, and wants to you know make it on his own and... Show that he can be the boss man. Exactly. Yep. And he wants the Batmobile. So right. So right. have to do that. Exactly. This is all going on. He's building a polka dot. He convinces Ethereum to, for some reason, give him a $5 million grant to help build polka dot. I mean, he's just got strings in Ethereum that he's just pulling. <laughs> Even though he's building this competitor, Ethereum's willing to give him $5 million. Polka dot has their ICO, their initial coin launch, which is like the equivalent of uh, an IPO on the stock market. And he raises $145 million for a polka dot, which is very successful. Um, but Gavin's fatal flaw was he seems to have overestimated his business skills mm. because in a twist of fate, polka dot decided to keep all that money they just raised, the $145 million in this uh, wallet. Um, it's a digital wallet. 
that Wood's company, Gavin, Gavin's company built, there was an error in the code of, of that wallet that they had made. And someone accidentally deleted some crucial code, which froze uh, 500,000 Ether, meaning $100 million was frozen of those $145 million that they raised. So they only had access to $45 million now instead of these $145 million that they had raised. Oh, man. So Have they not learned from, uh, what was that one uh, what one guy that uh, made an error on uh, his, uh, his programming? It's exactly where this is going, Brian. That's the, oh, okay. that's the DAO hack, right? The DAO? <laughs> yes. Yeah, the yeah, DAO yeah. that was built on Ethereum. So because remembering this event, Gavin was actually a part of Ethereum at the time when that happened. So Gavin uh, and his team appeals to Ethereum because this smart, this digital wallet was built on Ethereum. So they appealed to the Ethereum community and says, hey, let's do the same thing that we did for the DAO hack. Uh, let's um, fork Ethereum, basically make it so that this, this event never happened so we can get our money back. And if you remember the consequences of that DAO hack when they, they forked the network before, you had some adamant people in the community who wanted it to stay the same and not right. let the foundation interfere with this, right? Or the Ethereum Classic Ethereum or Ethereum Classic, like that? exactly. That's yeah, where it came yeah. from. And so fearing that that would happen again and fearing that this would set a precedence that the Ethereum Foundation can get involved in these kind of things and become more like a centralized authority, right. the Ethereum community declined their continued requests to unlock those funds. And so still to this day, those $100 million are locked on Ethereum. No one can access the $100 million. <gasps> oh, man. So, so Polkadot has gone from $150 million to $45 million uh, in a matter of weeks. And uh, so they have to make do with whatever they have left. So that puts them way behind schedule as they struggle to earn more uh, revenue and funding. So they have a couple more sales. They're finally able to launch Polkadot last year. And so Polkadot has been live and running for a few months now. They're just kind of putting on some finishing touches as we speak. So with Gavin's story with Polkadot, Brian, how good of a backstabber would you say Gavin Wood is? This is way worse, man. He like was working on it while he was still at Ethereum. He would like poached different people. I would say his is like a good solid nine. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that's backstabbery to the to the limit to the max right there. So anyway, Polkadot, in reality, so I, I, I pose this as if they are killers and competitors, because that's what the media often says. The the media brands these as Ethereum killers. And in Cardano's case, yes, they feel like they are an Ethereum killer. But with Polkadot, they actually see themselves as not a, a Ethereum killer, but as more like a, a colleague. I don't know, something that can work alongside Ethereum. Polkadot is a little bit different. It's a little bit bigger scale than Ethereum actually is. And so Polkadot believes that it can coexist with Ethereum. Now, I don't know if that's a marketing tactic, basically saying Ethereum is so far ahead, we'll never be able to surpass them, so we'll just say that we're like to play along nice with them and we'll just yeah. be buddy-buddies. Uh, I don't know if that's that's what's going on here or if Polkadot really feels like, you know, they can they can coexist. We'll see. Polkadot is a little bit different, though, and so there's a chance that they can coexist. 
And in fact, Polkadot exists in such a way that Ethereum could actually be built on top of Polkadot because it is Polkadot's vision to have all of these other platforms built on top of it. And if that happens, then they all become interoperable. And so it doesn't matter which platform you're building on uh, because they can all communicate with each other. Okay. A couple quick stats just to throw out there, just to keep in mind about these platforms, about which one to invest in, for example. So with Ethereum, almost a third of all active developers in the crypto space are working on Ethereum. And so Ethereum has a huge community of developers. I mean, it it just seems like everyone is building on on Ethereum right now. And so developers is a great way to measure a network's success because if a network is not doing well, no matter what they say to the public, if developers are leaving, uh, then it probably isn't going that well. Versus if developers are coming and staying, then the network is probably has a bright future and the developers believe it. Polkadot has, I believe, one of the fastest growing developer communities in all of crypto right now. They are growing really fast, um, having tons of developers come join them because people see their vision. And then you have Cardano, which has appeared to be dead forever um, until recently. It's kind of found life as it maybe has some big news on the horizon as it tries to take on Ethereum. You know, there are some other Ethereum killers out there. Maybe we'll do a part two talking about the other up-and-comers, but the other ones are newer, and so they have even less time to establish themselves. Um, Some popular ones, Elrond is hot right now, Avalanche, um, just a couple ones that are just doing really well in terms of their their price. Um, But uh, we'll see if they have enough time to really you know, grab enough users to make a difference before Ethereum 2.0 launches. So it's, it, for me, it's a very exciting race to see, you know, how, how much space can Polkadot carve out for itself in the next year before Ethereum 2.0 ends it all, you know? Yeah, you'll have to keep us posted on that because that's sounds like there's going to be a lot of updates over the next year or so. Yep. I, I think this is the window and there's going to be a lot of movement, so... We'll see what happens. Well, we'll call that a wrap, Brian. We'll stop right there. So thanks for listening to another episode of the Fool's Gold Podcast. If you liked what you heard, how about leaving a nice review wherever you get your podcasts? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Fool's Gold. That's G-O-A-L-E-D. But until next time, Brian, I'll talk to you later. See you later, Ryan.